0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be talking to Hamilton's mayor, not about the health things going on with COVID and coronavirus and all the rest. That's well established. But there are issues financially with the city, with all cities, because according to the Municipal Act, the Provincial Municipal Act, cities are not permitted to run deficits. And yet you can almost be sure that the city is going to run a deficit With all the people who are now out of work and unable to pay their taxes, what happens? Well, he will explain. Uh, We're also chatting about manufacturing because, boy, should this not be a wake-up call for Canadians that maybe all the things that we're now trying to get back into the country that we maybe should be producing some of this stuff here so we're protected against borders and boundaries and tariffs and not able to get production and all that kind of stuff? And we're going to talk about the Ticats and the CFL because the season has been delayed and who knows when it's going to be played. What does this mean for the CFL? Because this is a league that can't afford to not have a season. All that coming up right here. Enjoy.
1: Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML.
0: Earlier today, I got in touch with the mayor of Hamilton's assistant and I asked if he could come on and I started by saying, since I know you're not doing anything because nothing's happening these days. Well, Michelle laughed and she laughed and she laughed and I'm... Sounds like the mayor may be laughing at that comment. You're not doing anything these days, are you?
2: <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm laughing right now. Thank yep. you. Yeah, not not at all busy. But to be honest with you, uh, you know, normally, uh, and, and you would know this, lots of uh, evening events going on, fundraisers and banquets. And, uh, you know, this is really kind of banquet season right now. And there's a uh, little or uh, none of that going on right now. So my, uh, my evenings are a little less intense than they have been in the past, but my days are pretty full.
0: Uh, that is, by the way, the voice of Mayor Fred Eisenberger for the four people maybe who didn't know that already. But um, uh, I know now, uh, the mayor, you've been on with Bill Kelly a number of times uh, since this whole thing started, uh, much of the time talking about health challenges and situations. So we're going to leave that part uh, aside for a moment so you don't have to repeat all the things you've already said because there's a few other things I want to get to today and they're on a different topic altogether. It's my understanding, and I'm hoping you can explain this a little bit. It's my understanding that the Municipal Act, the Provincial Municipal Act, does not allow cities to run a deficit or accrue debt um, as part of their budget process or just in the the ongoing operations of the city, uh, unlike the province or the country, which everyone knows can and does do that. Is that that accurate?
2: Well, you have to distinguish between an operating deficit and debt. Uh, they're, They're two separate things. So an operating deficit we're not allowed to run, which is basically... You know, expending more and more monies than we collect that uh, that is not allowed by virtue of the uh, the municipal act in the province of Ontario. But we do factor into that uh, you know long term debt. So we do borrow for major you know construction projects. But That's all factored into kind of the operating overall operating budget that uh, that we deliver. So uh, I think the semantics here is that we're not allowed to run a an operating year to year deficit. In other words, uh, the the revenues that we collect, taxes and all other revenues, have to match the expenditures that we make.
0: But that would seem like then when you are when you're facing the situation that we are facing right now, which nobody anticipated, and we really have not ever dealt with this before. Uh, right. We have people who are out of work. We have people whose businesses are closed down. We may be in a unique position, would we not, where this could happen?
2: Yes, and and so uh, you know, in in that. It, uh, Due to that eventuality, we've already started talking with the federal and provincial mm-hmm. governments that municipalities also have a fiscal problem. So, uh, you know, we're, we're being asked to do the tax deferrals. We're being asked to do a lot more expenditures in terms of, uh, you know, p- putting processes in place to protect people in the broader community, changing our revenue stream, and our revenues are going down significantly. So we're uh, increased costs and uh, declining revenues means that at some point, all municipalities in the country are going to have, are going to be in a deficit position, and we would be looking to the federal and provincial governments to uh, to help us out, like they're helping out uh, individuals and businesses in the community right now. We've had those conversations with our uh, federal and provincial partners, and uh, the Deputy Prime Minister, the Prime Minister, and other ministers as well, and they all agree that uh, at some point there needs to be a a uh, a balancing for municipalities but uh right now the priority is uh the, you know the current crisis that we're in the businesses and individuals in our community uh once we're past that then uh, you know ongoing discussions will happen in terms of how to make municipalities whole
0: theoretically and i find it exceedingly hard to believe that the province would ever do anything about this but theoretically if you did run a deficit and i'm not even talking necessarily in this circumstance but generally if you run a deficit and it's illegal what is the what's the penalty or what what happens to a city that would do that
2: well they they can actually uh, the, the province can actually step in and put in a manager that will uh, will, will will eliminate that deficit and uh, and manage the uh, the operations like they've done with hospitals from time to time and as you recall back uh, not too long ago uh, when the hospitals were running uh, major, major deficits, the, uh, the, uh, the province of Ontario brought in administrators and said, uh, you know, board of directors are no longer in charge. Uh, we are going to put a, 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 a senior manager in place that's going to oversee the operations and rectify the, the fiscal issues that you're, uh, that you're facing with. So that's, that's a potential remedy. Now, you know, in this circumstance, I, I imagine every municipality in the country, if not in the world, Uh, is going to have a similar problem. And so uh, there's 444 municipalities in the province of Ontario. Uh, All of us are seeing increased costs and declining revenues, and uh, that is going to have to be paid for somehow. And there's only one source for that, which is the taxpayer, and it's either coming through uh, municipal taxes down the road, or it's coming out of uh, you know aid, additional aid money that the federal and provincial governments can bring to the city of Hamilton. We don't have the deep pockets that the federal and provincial governments have. Uh, clearly, they can uh, either print money or they can uh, they can borrow at very very marginal rates, and uh, they're not hamstrung by uh, not having to have a, an operating deficit year to year. So they uh, they have much deeper pockets and. We see evidence of that now in terms of the billions and billions of dollars that are being delivered into the broader community to help individuals get through this crisis, help businesses get through this crisis, help the cultural sector, and I, I, I'm confident that there will be a hundred billion or more uh, coming down the pipe. So this is not uh, this is not going to change anytime soon. They're, they're going to continue to invest in the in the cultural sectors and the, uh, the small business sector, all the areas of concern in our communities that uh, are going to require shoring up when we come out
1: of this crisis you're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML
0: mr. mayor uh, you recently the city recently gave some breaks on uh, on people for not uh, reducing the penalties or putting aside the penalties for not paying taxes for a period of time Uh, I I know that's going to be helpful for some people what happens if this drags out though and people are now saying I can't pay my taxes
2: well, that becomes a problem, and uh, clearly, the, uh, you know, we hope we don't get to that point. Uh, we want uh, people to, uh, you know, some, at some point get back to work as uh, quickly as possible. Again, we're, we're our, the lifeblood of the city is the municipal taxes that we collect. So for all the services that we uh, deliver, uh, if we don't have tax revenue coming in, uh, cash flow, and, you know, and the, and the tax deferrals are, are, are going to be helpful for some. Uh, that can you know set aside uh, you know that uh, that tax pay- payment but it's not a it's not a forgiveness it's a deferral we cannot forgive uh, but it, it allows them to you know d- deal with some of their other more pressing expenses rather than having to pay the the tax bill but that uh, that only goes on for so long and then at some point we're going to need revenues to pay the firefighters and the paramedics and the police and all the services out there that uh, that are so very very much much wanted and important um, in- including just plain old maintaining our city the roads the infrastructure the transit system uh, you know everything that comes with it so at some point we we need to collect those taxes uh the uh, the other option uh, may be if it comes to that is that uh, there there are deferred taxes uh, that, get, that get, gets put onto the uh, property uh, the property uh you know value valuation down the road it said uh, that that can be paid at some point down the road when uh, when, when things are flush but we're not at that point yet so right now it's a basically a 60-day uh deferral of penalties and fees for those that uh, need it we would ask people that uh, don't need to and are still employed and are able to pay that they continue to do so and there may be another 30 day for the next period pay period a deferral uh, on top of that, so including then uh, a 90-day potential deferral for those that uh, that need to have some breathing room in their
0: uh, in their expense. And when you say you can't uh, allow them not to pay, that it has to be a deferral, does that again go back to the fact that you're not permitted to run a deficit and if you forgive the taxes and don't make them pay, you're automatically running a deficit?
2: For one, yeah, and we're also not collecting the, the money that we're going to need to actually continue to run the city. So some services would have to go. And so, uh, you know, it's, a, it's a, actually it's a mix of both, uh, without cash flow and without revenue coming in. And, you know, our, our revenue is, uh, I've said this 100 times, uh, you know, if it, uh, of the, the 100% taxes that you pay, 50% of it goes to the federal government, 40% goes to the provincial government, 10% comes to the local municipality. That's your entire tax load we're talking about now. For that, we're asked to do an awful lot in local municipalities, in terms of delivering services, maintaining roads, and all the infrastructure that comes with it, so uh, we are—I I would say—we've argued this at the uh, the big city mayors uh, at, through FCM that the uh, the tax collection system we have in the country right now is based on an agricultural British North America Act and really hasn't been redefined in terms of where most of the activities are happening today, which is in, in cities across the country.
0: The, the school board, uh, they get paid out of municipal taxes, correct? Yes. Yeah, so so do correct. you still, right now, do you still have to be paying your share to the school boards?
2: Yes, exactly.
0: So yeah, where does that yeah, money come from? If you're not getting money no- in, where does it come from?
2: Well, we are getting money in. And but, uh, we're hoping that uh, money will continue to come in, but uh, you know, the same the same loading isn't happening potentially in the next pay cycle. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, the The first installment to the to the school board was uh, fifty million dollars. So it's done in the, in in four 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 tranches. So 50 million. $50 million, $50 million, $50 million. and so uh, we'll have to wait and see. You know what? The, the i'm t- trying to recall now that the provincial government actually also deferred uh the potential payment of the school board uh, fees until such time as that uh, that uh, schools got back into place and uh, you know i'm not sure if i'm getting that 100 right. right so don't quote me on that but there was a deferral for the school board portion of taxes as well to try and help kind of level the playing field for municipal taxation as we go forward so Right now, there isn't uh, obviously a lot of maintenance and, and, and expenditure going on in schools, uh, Obviously, but teachers are still being paid, which is the majority of the expense, and the teachers are starting to teach again. So, uh, you know, bills have to be paid or else the, the system uh, cannot sustain itself.
0: Just one more thing, and then we unfortunately have to run, but uh, is there any mechanism to reopen the budget that you had signed off on, or is that locked and gone and that can't be adjusted for this year to deal with this?
2: Yeah, that's locked and gone for this year. We we have reserves, and we've authorized the emergency operations center to to use uh, you know the reserves as necessary to deal with the coronavirus. Uh, I suspect that uh, you know there's there's going to be a tallying of uh, declining revenues and increasing expenses. It'll be in the millions, but there are reserves that can cover those on the short term. But uh, you know, for the balance at the end of the year, there'll there'll likely be a significant deficit for all municipalities uh, in, in Ontario and across the country. In fact. And we're uh, again having those discussions with uh, federal and provincial governments right now in terms of uh, what, uh, what what will need to happen if we want to maintain our cities in the current standard that we operate them under, and that will require some uh, some 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 monies coming to municipalities to make them whole at the uh, at the end of the year before the, the next budget round.
0: Mayor Fred Eisenberger, appreciate the time. I uh, even though you might have a quiet evening these days, uh, I do appreciate you taking a few minutes out of it. Thanks for doing this. I,
2: I appreciate the time to share with uh, folks out there, and I don't want to thank everybody for doing what they're uh, what they should be doing, which is staying home. You know, the evidence I see in the broader community is just fantastic, and uh, you know, people need to pat themselves on the back and keep doing it. As frustrating and as hard as it is uh, for everybody. Uh, It is something that is absolutely necessary, and I think by and large Hamiltonians are doing a terrific job, so I thank them
0: all. Mayor Fred Eisenberger.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. If there's one lesson that we are learning these days,
0: I think rather quickly, it's how many of the goods that we use on a day-to-day basis, whether we expected to or suddenly have realized we need to, aren't made here in Canada. We're hearing about masks, uh, lots about masks made in the U.S. and food made in America that has to cross the border and medicines that are coming from China and on and on and on and all kinds of stuff that we may contribute bits of it, parts of it, but we don't necessarily build it here. Which makes it seem, anyway, like we have outsourced much of our important manufacturing out of the country. Why? I think it's probably obvious why. Cost probably is the number one reason. But it raises, I think, a fair question, and that is, is what's going on right now a wake-up call to suggest it's time to reconsider this And start bringing Canadian manufacturing back home so when the next crisis rolls around or even when there's not a crisis just in general that we have it within our borders Rocco Rossi is the president and CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce he joins us now Rocco thanks for doing this today
3: Uh, a great pleasure Scott thanks for having me on
0: Uh, is this the moment that this idea this light about manufacturing goes on in our heads in this province or in this country
3: look it absolutely uh does more than cross people's minds i think the um, the recent events um, around the, the masks and the 3m incident i think really put a a fine point on it um, but there are enormous consequences and it is something that we're going to have to look at very very closely you made the point one of the reasons um, all countries effectively globalized uh, their supply chains was for cost, uh, was um, sometimes there are specific materials that are more uh, available in different markets. Um, And the theory, at least uh, since the, the creation of, you know, the World Trade Organization and post Bretton Woods and all of those important institutions has actually created enormous wealth around the world, pulled hundreds of millions of people out of poverty um, and allowed us to go into the store and actually keep inflation at very low levels because we could produce higher and higher quality things at lower and lower prices than ever before. When crises to your point come, And you say, oh, my goodness, uh, I'm going to have to build in redundancy in certain things. I'm going to have to accept that I'm going to pay more for it. I don't think you can do it on all things, but you you probably will make certain choices. We're hearing from uh, Premier Legault in Quebec. He's already, as part of his post-COVID-19 crisis recovery plan, looking at Uh, looking at the trade balance that Quebec has, thinking about what things could uh, fairly reasonably, maybe not at the same price, clearly not at the same price, because we've gone elsewhere uh, for better pricing, uh, but what things might be and what am I prepared to do? Because if I pay more for that, there's less money, for other things.
0: Exactly. And, and you wonder, I mean, it, though it is front of people's minds right now, mine included, and, and you hear about you know, the masks is the perfect example as you raised. Um, you wonder if the customer base in this country, when it gets right down to it, when this is all done, is really okay with the idea that, you know, the thing that once upon a time I could buy for $5 is now $10, even if it means lower unemployment and more self-sufficiency. When it comes right down to it, I don't want to pay more for that. Right. And, I mean, and that becomes a huge problem. We're
3: still, going, we're still going to Dollarama. We're still going, you know, uh, we're still going to the Walmarts versus uh, many Main Street small stores that may give you service, May you may know very well, but uh, is probably your neighbor and yet... Um, there are are people where I can I can save a lot of money and I have that money for other things that I need for me and my family.
0: What if you if Rocco Rossi right now started a business that made widgets? That's the the old, the old fallback. And you made a tremendous widget, but it cost four times as much as the one that might be slightly lower quality but came from overseas. How would your business do in this country right now?
3: Well look at, it really depends on how much you can differentiate on quality. Because let's face it, you know, Starbucks taught us that you can charge people $5 for a cup of coffee uh, if you build the appropriate story around it, if you deliver the brand value around it. And one of the reasons, quite frankly, that Germany, which is by no means a low-cost jurisdiction, has been able to maintain its position as a manufacturing giant uh, in the world, has been a constant focus on innovation, greater productivity. Their workers, in many cases, are paid more than ours, um, but still produce quality product uh, that customers are prepared to pay a higher price for because they focused on engineering. They focused on following the latest uh, trends. And so there are segments that we can choose. We have high-value areas. I think about right now our nuclear industry in, in Ontario and in Canada. And uh, in a world where people want to get to a lower-carbon future, the reality is nuclear is going to have to be part of that give base load well we're we're creating through the refurbishment of Bruce and Darlington an incredible supply chain of the highest quality producers anywhere in the world and there will be an opportunity in those thousands of jobs but that also then steps us back to thinking about how we gear up our college and university system, how we Mm. think about apprentices, how we talk to our own children, because in Germany, they have never stigmatized going
1: into the trade. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Chatting with Rocco Rossi, who is the president and CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, about the idea of with masks and all these other things that we are now scrambling to get that are produced out of the country. Should we be trying to bring manufacturing back into the country, manufacture more stuff here in Canada? Rocco, I had to jump in just before the break and I interrupted you, but you had just mentioned I think it's a great point because we have this sense, I think, I get it anyway, in this country that if you have a kid and that kid does not go to university, even if they take a course that has no chance of ever translating into a job, somehow you're a failure as as a parent and they're a failure as a kid. And if we had more people going into trades and other things where we had a greater base of people who could do these things, this discussion may be a lot less complicated than it is right now. 100%.
3: We may not have built the city on rock and roll, but we built Hamilton on steel, on manufacturing, on lots of other things uh, where there was pride in the in the production of those things and still still is but on a smaller on a smaller scale and we need to be reminding and we need to tell our children that it's not that if you're smart you go to university if you're not quite so smart you think about college and if you're a dummy take a trade because guess what my plumber can buy and sell me four times over has a place in georgian bay another in scottsdale runs a fabulous business And he gets to choose who he works for, because if you tick him off as a client, you're gone. He's got a waiting list. Uh, And there are, you know, you talk about middle class jobs or what could create uh, and and strengthen a middle class. Well, strong trades are phenomenal careers. Uh, And right now in the province of Ontario, the average age of a journeyman, not even a master, but a journeyman, electrician, carpenter, tool and die maker, boiler maker. The average age is close to 60 for all of those. Huh. Uh, and so we have an impending crisis. Uh, but also an
0: impending opening.
3: And an impending opening for for both uh, our young people and those who want to retrain mid-career. And we're working with great local chambers like Keenan Loomis and the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce and others, uh, and working with great institutions like McMaster, like Mohawk College, that are looking at new ways of looking at education, not necessarily a four-year degree, but micro-credentialing, going back to school for short periods of time for specific skills to upgrade what you're doing, to help retrain. The jurisdictions that figure out, post this crisis, how to train and retrain their people the best are the ones that are going to win, regardless of what the manufacturing or other base is. If we get our people into the right spots, boy, that's real magic. That's real power.
0: Well, and I'm not sure that this is entirely what you meant a few moments ago. You were talking about Germany and how... Uh, you know, they do a terrific job at convincing. uh, We believe, and Starbucks you talked about, that we believe in the story, and so we're willing to pay more. I mean, it almost sounds like if we in Canada could be better at marketing, that if we could convince people that our products were worth the money that they might pay, that we might be able to make it work. It it sounds like we're really horrible at that, and we'd rather say, hey, spend 50 cents on a product and just get the cheapest thing.
3: Well, there's marketing for sure, in the Starbucks example is a perfect the german example is really about investing in productivity in the highest quality engineering you know canada has because we've we've been so uh, blessed with an incredible resource base and this enormous country with a relatively small population next to the most dynamic economy in the world just south of us we 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 got a bit lazy quite frankly We've not invested in productivity the way the rest of the g uh, seven and g eight countries have the way that Germany has, and so uh, we've not kept up in some key areas, and those are precisely the areas we're going to need to reinvest in we and is we that want,
0: sorry is that because we've just assumed that we can always get it from the states so we've just relied on them
3: that's been that's been part of it and and quite frankly look for the, 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 the better part of decades of time. It absolutely has been the case. Uh, but the, the renegotiation of NAFTA, this latest incident, and it's not simply a President Trump thing. The reality is so long as there are countries and there are borders, political leaders will feel more of a duty to take care of their own than others. Otherwise, there'd be no need for countries, yeah. right? Uh, we're all the same. Now, enlightenment is knowing that it, we're all in it together at the end of the day. And if you hurt me on this thing, the reality, the stupidity of it on the mask issue was we have hundreds of nurses going from Windsor to Detroit every day, without which Detroit hospitals yep. would be shut down. Yep, yep. So. So this is one family. You are dealing with your own. Uh, and I think that's part of the argument that won the day, but might not always.
0: It is uh, It is a topic that we will, uh, I guarantee that this will be something that gets picked up as we get closer to the end of this difficult time right now, and we'll be hearing a lot more about what we should be doing. And uh, when that comes, and along the way, we will have Rocco Rossi back on the show. Loved having you. Thanks for doing this today. Really appreciated it.
3: A great pleasure. Uh, a really insightful topic for you to, to you, for you to choose because I think a lot of people will also look at it as a way of how do we create jobs for the absolutely people at the
0: end of this. Rocco, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. All the best,
1: sir. Cheers. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Let us turn to our good friend who just finished his shift, got home just in time to eat dinner and come right back on the radio because that's the way he rolls. Rick Zamperin from 900CHML. Rick, how are you tonight?
4: I am fantastic now that I have a burger in my belly.
0: That is always a good thing. That is always a very good thing. Uh, Less fantastic, though, probably, I'm guessing, for one reason, and that is uh, there are not too many people I know who are bigger CFL fans, bigger CFL watchers, bigger CFL experts than you, and the announcement was made today by the CFL Commissioner, Randy Ambrosi, that the CFL will not be getting started on time at the very earliest, if I understand it, July 1st, which would be about a month after the season was supposed to begin. That would be the earliest they would be getting going. Uh, what does this mean for the league? What does this mean for the season? What does this mean for anything?
4: Well, I think what it means is, <clears throat> A, there's, there's automatically some lost revenue here because we know that We know that the NHL is a gate-driven league. We know that the CFL is a massively gate-driven league. And yes, we all know that they get dollars from their television broadcast deal that basically pays for the league. But now we're uh, looking at a few less games. And just for example, the Hamilton Tiger Cats were scheduled to begin um, on June 13th against uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. That would have been a 2019 Grey Cup rematch. And then uh, facing off against the Argos, Uh, a week after that, and then Saskatchewan uh, a week after that. So that's three games impacted. And then they went, they would, theoretically, if the schedule (laughs) held, they would have gone on the bye bye week. So there are some teams that are going to lose as many as four games uh, and, and some as few as three. So eight means lost revenue for the league, for the teams, and that is economically, obviously, a crippling blow.
0: Well, for a number of reasons too. I mean, these players, uh, this is not a, This is not the NFL and the average salary in this league is not, what's the NFL average now, $600,000 where if you played on a team last year or if you are a rookie and had a signing bonus, unless you're a complete moron with your money, you should have some money tucked away that you could live on. I'm not sure that a lot of CFL guys are going to be in that position.
4: You're exactly right. And these uh, guys, even some of the uh, maybe not necessarily upper echelon guys, but some of the guys who are making just shy of six figures with, you know, in today's society, that's, that's a great salary to have no matter what job you have. But a lot of these guys have other jobs, other careers uh, and, you know, they're looking at those careers thinking, uh, I won't be able to continue those either, uh, depending on where they are. I mean, if they're in any sort of non-essential service, they're obviously shut down as well. So that would be a double whammy for those players. But, yeah, from a player perspective, you're not playing. You don't have any new material on tape if you are a free agent. Um, you're, you're obviously not, you know, practicing, earning a paycheck, all that stuff, uh, making appearances, making appearances. Uh, all that stuff right now is is uh, uh, flushed down the toilet until at least July. And be, uh, the reasoning for that is in Toronto and in Calgary, <clears throat> those two communities have basically banned all public events until the end of June. So the CFL, obviously with teams in Calgary and Toronto, were almost forced to say, OK, we can't um, uh, begin any sort of season until July 1st rolls around. There's still a lot of questions as to whether that will be the start date, um, or whether it's later, and and if it is later, that even brings up more questions.
0: Well, and let's let's go back for a second because um, not only can you not gather and play a game, but I, I've seen some v- pictures and some videos from some high level, like elite. NFL, Major League Baseball, NHL players who are working out in their home gyms right now. And a lot of these guys have pretty lavish home gyms, which again, I'm guessing there are very few CFL players who have much of a home gym. They're used to either going to the team facility or going to some fitness place near them or just even working out in a public park. Well, all of those things now are shut down. So it's not even just that they can't play. How long, I mean, a lot of these guys, how are they even staying in shape and working out to a level that you could say, okay, tomorrow we're going to start practices? And they say, but I haven't been able to lift now properly for two, three, four months.
4: Yeah, I've seen some posts on social media, even from some CFL players, uh, you know, strength and conditioning coaches uh, who are doing, um, you know, maybe not necessarily what they would do uh, normally. I, I remember seeing one, I can't remember who it was, you know, they were lifting their. 150 200 pound dog uh, as exercise <laughs> yeah they, they, they can't go to the gym uh, if they have something at home whether it's uh, you know free weights or the, or the like I mean that's good to a point but you don't have the same um, uh, the same equipment you don't have the same oversight in terms of your strength and conditioning Well, and these guys
0: these guys Rick are generally lifting significant weight like yeah. to, to have your own set of home dumbbells is fine for you or for me not for a guy who's a professional football no. player
4: Exactly. And, and, and maybe the biggest thing aside from, you know, weight training or cardio and all that kind of stuff is the off season workouts that a lot of these players uh, do on their own. You know, a quarterback will meet up with a couple of receivers or, you know, some offensive linemen will get together or or, or defensive players, they get together and they run drills like they would at training camp or, or in a rookie camp that we would see uh, in the not too distant future, if they were still scheduled. So all of that can't happen as well because you can't be together um, so it's really yeah thrown a, a bit of a curveball into this whole season.
0: Do you have any idea, do you have any guess uh, how long, like the players have to be given some time to get into some kind of shape. I, as I said a moment ago, I can't imagine that teams could say uh, the the ban has been lifted and tomorrow or two days from now we're expecting you all in camp. Uh, any idea how long you would have to, how much forewarning you would have to give them before training camp could even start? It's got to be well, at least a couple or three weeks, right?
4: If, if the season begins or can't begin until July, there's got to be at least, le- at the very least, a couple of weeks of training camp because you know teams have signed players with uh, you know the, the the vision that they were going to compete for jobs in camp, and, and and teams have you know a multitude of guys that are not necessarily going to make the club when all is said and done, but they, they still have to figure that out. You know, in training camps, whether it's here or across uh, the country, you know, there's players that beat out other players for jobs. So you have to have some sort of training camp. Then it has to be, to my mind, at least a couple of weeks. I don't think they necessarily have to play any preseason games. I think they could have a two, maybe three-week camp, jump into game number one, and away you go, because I'm not sure what purpose a preseason game would have other than you know, seeing how a guy is in real life kind of competition against another team. That might be helpful, but now you're traveling, you're scheduling things, and this schedule is going to be a dog's breakfast to begin with because we're throwing out games already at the start of the season. So at least a two-week campaign, I'm I'm thinking mid-June or mid-July at the very earliest. Uh, But my thought is this season probably won't begin until in and around Labor Day. And I think that's, uh, you know, that could be said for Major League Baseball, uh, the NBA and NHL I don't think is coming back until, you know, next season. Uh, MLS kind of the same in terms of MLB. I don't think anything uh, other than a fall start or close to a fall start is uh, is realistic.
0: Now, then again, people have said Rick for a generation that the season doesn't begin till Labor Day. So maybe yeah. we're just going to put that to the test for real now.
4: Well, and let's say Labor Day is game number 1. And and they play a uh, an eight-game season. So every team, you know, basically plays each other once. Uh, and then you go into the playoffs. I would be fine with that, but that would be the absolute minimum of 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 a schedule. An eight-game kind of cut the season almost in half, kind of sprint to the finish. Mm. Every game is vitally important. It's in the fall, you know, people are into it. They've been, you know, Uh, gnawing at themselves to try and get you know sports back on and 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 have a you know a normal kind of sports life whether it's on tv or in an arena or in a stadium Uh, i think all eyes would be on the cfl for sure with a you know that sort of sprint to the finish but if if they want to keep the gray cup game on november 22nd they almost have to work backwards playing all those playoff games or scheduling those games a lot of travel has to go into it so we're booking flights and hotels and the like Um, It's not an easy task, and I don't uh, envy the CFL and and the officials behind this whole thing at all.
0: Two things. One, I would be okay, as an experiment, if you have to, to have it where the season's cut in half because it starts on Labor Day and the East only plays the East and the West only plays the West until you get to the Grey Cup. I, I would be okay with that, quite honestly, as a test to see how that would go. But the other thing is, what about the idea of saying, look, the NFL goes right through till February. Why could we not play in January, Yeah, it's going to be really cold, and it's going to be really miserable for some of these games, but you know what? The people will still come.
4: Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but I think they want to keep that November 22nd date in Regina. Number one, yeah, I don't think you want to be playing in February uh, in the Grey Cup in Regina. I mean, that, <laughs> that would just be suicidal. But number two, I think because people have already booked their tickets, have their flights and their hotels to move all of that, uh, would be herculean but again uh, this thing might still be going on in november or we might have as we've heard a second wave in the fall or whatever the case is so everything's up in the air uh realistically would they play a gray cup team uh in december or later uh, maybe, but I, I just don't see it happening.
0: I, I'm I'm imagining a Grey Cup in Regina in February, and I think I would rather bathe my eyeballs in purel than to <laughs> sit through that kind of cold. That would be just nasty. Hey, last thing before we let you go: Is there any? Do you think there's any concern? One of the things the CFL has always had, because it does compete sort of I mean I don't even know sort of it does compete with the NFL for eyeballs and people are watching both or sometimes they take a side and say no I hate the NFL or I hate the CFL and I'll only watch the other one sure. if you start your season the same time roughly as the NFL you've always had this lead in so you're there's a narrative and there's a, already you're engaged in it before the NFL starts if you start simultaneously do you run the risk of losing people
4: I think so. Um, but in the same light, you know, it's not just the NFL. It's, you know, hey, the Masters is on this fall. It's, you know, college football is starting at that time. Um, who knows? The NCAA might say, hey, we're going to do a basketball tournament now. I mean, <laughs> there's so there's going to be so much competition for eyeballs whenever, you know, sports blank start. That's true. But yes, when when the CFL and NFL start at the same time. Uh, yeah, the, the, the CFL A is dwarfed by the NFL publicity machine, anyways. But I think CFL fans are still going to watch CFL games, and vice versa for the National Football League.
0: Um, yeah, you know what? You, uh, you, I had forgotten or not even considered that. That yeah, you're not just the NFL because now when every single sports event comes back yeah oh hockey basketball the whole bit there is going to be so much competition because everything is going to want to try and get crammed in and uh, and be seen all at once and it's going to be really hard now I'm just looking up the date just before I let you go because they announced the date that the Masters is being played right did they not in November did they not give the weekend that it's going to be on
4: yeah was uh, it
0: November 12 to 15 yeah all right so they avoid Grey Cup weekend I believe. I they think Grey Cup, Grey Cup weekend, yes. I believe the Grey Cup weekend is the next weekend. There's there's a lucky break for the CFL. Imagine going up against the last round of the Masters.
4: Yeah, that's pretty tough. But the East, <laughs> the East and West final will be up against the Masters, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, well, maybe. Maybe. We, yes. we, we will see. <laughs> Who knows what's happening right now. Uh, Rick Zamprin, always appreciate you doing this. Enjoy your evening. Stay, stay safe and stay healthy.
1: Same to you. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900-CHML.